But my younger boys always say, I have the coolest mom ever. Not everybody's mom welds or not everybody's mom has a welding shop or not everybody's mom is like you and gets dirty every day, mom. And they look at me with these huge big eyes and they're so happy and impressed by it. I'm changing their perspective and other kids' perspective of what a woman should or shouldn't be. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Femcanics, I want to hear from you and get your feedback. I want to know what you like or don't like about the podcast. You can leave a message by calling 614-636-2240. Again, it's 614-636-2240. Leave me a message and who knows, you might hear yourself on the podcast. The Iron Maiden Welder is in the driver's seat today. Brenda Stredgwick started her company over 10 years ago. It all started with her playing and welding junk together to make art and functional pieces of furniture. Get ready to learn how this badass woman turned playing with junk into a profitable full-time business. Hello, Femkinics. This is Jamie B coming to you, and I have Brenda in the driver's seat today. How are you doing, Brenda? I am wonderful. You are wonderful, and I love the name of your company. Love it. Do you mind sharing it with the community? Iron Maiden Welding. So I found you on Instagram, and what drew me in to your particular page is what you do. Not only are you a welder, but you're a particular kind of welder. Yeah. You are an artist. And I'll tell you what, the, the stuff that you create, I wish I had all of it. <laughs> it is exactly <laughs> all the things that I'm like, if I was a good welder and if I had the equipment, that is what I would want to be doing. I just, and you teach classes, but I'm, I, spoiler alert. So I'm going to be quiet now and I'm going to hand it over to you and What I want to do is bring the community along and the listeners along to who you are, how you got started in this, and then we'll kind of work through your adventure and how you got there. Okay. So why don't we start in the beginning? How and what in the world got you to where you are now? What was the very beginning for you? I grew up, I never wanted to be inside with my mom. It drove me crazy and to this day it still does. I can't be in the house with her for very long. So I was always outside with my dad and my dad is a, he's a MacGyver of sorts. He can fix anything and everything. And we also didn't grow up very well off. And so, but there wasn't money to fix things. And if we didn't fix it, it didn't get fixed kind of thing. So I was always outside tootling around with him and he's an electrician by trade, but he actually does not like welding very much. So he decided to start me by tacking things together and helping him with projects. So then he wouldn't have to weld anymore. So at eight, I started welding and... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to pause you. How old? (laughs) 
I was eight. <laughs> that is outstanding. <laughs> I'm thinking about what my eight-year-old did, and it was not welding. <laughs> <laughs> when you're around it all the time and you go up, grow up around it, it's just kind of a second way of life, I think. You I know, totally agree with you. I, I grew up around cars and playing in gasoline as a seven-year-old <laughs> cleaning car parts was normal and to me. I mean, yeah, you knew tools before most kids even knew anything beyond a hammer and you probably mm-hmm. knew all kinds of tools. Same thing with me is I was always under hoods with my dad or always fixing things or tinkering on something. Um, so I always just kind of fix things here and there. And in high school, I uh, joined FFA and I did the auto and diesel mechanics program in the welding. And uh, if it wasn't for shop class, I would never have gone to school. <laughs> That's the only thing that kept me going back every day through high school. I fell in love with all of it and just so many uses that there were for it beyond the fact of just fixing farm equipment. There was so many other things and avenues that I hadn't explored at my house with my little one arc welder that is probably older than my dad, actually, <laughs> and still one of the best running welders I've ever worked with. Um, so then I was working at a bar steakhouse kind of place like a lot of little towns have. And I started making horseshoe coat racks because I really wanted to go to Wyoming Tech and do auto and diesel mechanics as a profession. And there wasn't money to eat, let alone go to college. So I started selling things like horseshoe coat racks or just little things I'd welded together to make extra money. And it blew up. By 16, I was fixing farm equipment and trailers and doing all kinds of things for everybody in the town. So, And by fixing, your primary focus was welding? Yes. Yep. I'm not a very good mechanic. <laughs> I get frustrated easy with it, I guess. So you but, literally um, kind of moved into it out of necessity. I did. It was it was a necessity and there was also a need. In Salmon at the time, there was a gold mine and the only local welding shop was only taking jobs basically for the gold mine because A, they paid really well and they were super busy with that. So it was hard for just regular people to get in there with random projects. And I only lived a half a mile down the road at my dad's house with my little ram shack of a shop. And so they'd send them down to me. Now, just to put it in perspective for the listeners, uh, where are you located? I'm in Bozeman, Montana now, but I moved to Salmon, Idaho when I was 14. And before then, I grew up in Northern California. Got it. Okay. That's helpful because it puts some (laughs) things into perspective, right? Yes, just how rural it is. Yes. Isn't that an annoying word to say? It's a horrible word to say. It's a horrible <laughs> word. I, I I, don't think I have ever said that word properly. Rural. I'm pretty sure I haven't either. It's like Worcestershire sauce. Oh, man, I'll tell you. <laughs> Here I am like interviewing people and my partner does like editing and she's like, that's not how you say that. I'm like, who says this damn stuff right anyway? <laughs> Can she plug you in later on, you know, with saying it proper or almost like a computer voice? Or or it's just she just kind of like dubs it so you can't even tell what it says. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's that. I think you said it wonderfully. That's why I commented because you, you nailed it. <laughs> it took me a second. I really had to pucker my lips right. So I said it properly. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Sorry. Keep going. Rural or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> Country. Country. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I it just 
took off and I ended up not going to college for auto and diesel mechanics and just kept welding. And I bounced around to several different places working welding jobs. I went to North Idaho College. All I did was their workforce training training program. I can say I learned more in high school and with FFA than I did from that. Um, can, can I ask a question about that? Because I think Yes, of course. It's fascinating to me because I'm making an assumption here, so check me on this. When you say you learn more in FFA, I'm assuming that you had a lot of hands-on work. Yes, it's all very hands-off. With FFA, they kind of just throw you in and teach you. It's very hands-on. Now, the classes that you attended at the trade school, was it Uh as hands-on as FFA? It was still hands-on, but there just wasn't much exposure to everyday things that you need to fix. It was kind of like, here's your coupon that you need to weld on. And this is how you get certified for vertical up or horizontal flat with 6011. Or, you know, it was very basics like that. Whereas with FFA or in shop class in high school, because we were in a rural area, we fixed a lot of things all the time. So you learned a lot more skills of actually doing the things that you'd be doing out in the real world. I'll tell you what, this has been an internal battle for me as a parent. And growing up, I felt like my only choice was to go to college. And if I were to redo it all over again, I would say, okay, my daughter's name's Jade, my son's name's Jordan. Jade and Jordan don't rule out a trade school. Jamie. Yeah, Jamie, Jordan, and Jamie. Yeah. (laughs) Jaden Dorman, it's it's the the world of Jays, right? Um, where I'm trying to, you know, keep their minds open that no, you don't have to go to college. You can go to a trade school. But listening to you talk about it and reflecting on my own professional career, it's like the most valuable thing is just getting out there and literally getting your hands dirty. It seems to be the most value. Personally, that's what I feel. And my three boys, I tell them all the time, if you want to go into something specialized, like a lawyer or a doctor or something that's a very specialized degree, yes, of course. But if you're going into a trade or if you're even thinking about having something that you're making money and not paying student loans, yes, just go out there and work. Workforce training or IT school or a trade school, any of these kind of things, I think so. But I also tell my kids all the time, depending on what you want to go into, get a job at that kind of business and work your way up and learn the ropes from the bottom up. And I'm even thinking business-wise. Even business-wise. And I've always said, if you want to run a restaurant or a bar, start as a dishwasher and then you'll work every position and you'll fully understand that job of running that business. Yes. Too many people get business degrees, yet they've never even worked in a business that they want to go and manage or run. Well, and a lot of these professors have never run their own business. Exactly. And they're teaching out of books. And I just, the the best lessons I have learned is actually through the failures of businesses I've tried to start. I've learned so much. Yeah. And then eventually you get it right. <laughs> eventually you get it right as long as you don't stop. No matter what business, if you're owning it and you're running it, you're hands-on. There's no way to not be hands-on with whatever business that is. I totally agree. And I feel like as humans, most of us, or a lot of us, learn better hands-on, actually doing it per se. So I, I so agree with you, Brenda. So you fell into welding to initially help your dad at the young age of eight years old. It progressed. You really continued welding 
because it sounded like you actually enjoyed it and you did have a craft for it, but it was out of necessity to make money. Yes, for sure. Now, you had mentioned the horseshoe racks and it kind of leads me to where, well, I don't want to jump ahead. (laughs) I'm so excited about your art. I want to get to the art part. (laughs) (laughs) So you got to the part where you ended up at the trade school. What did you do after your time with the trade school? So I had worked at just a couple different welding shops doing this and that. And then I had ended up in Boise where I built horse trailers for American trailer for a couple years. And it was all production welding where you weld the same piece type of piece, 10 hours a day, four days, six days a week, depending on what, how busy you are. And yucky. I have 15 projects going at once and hands on everything. So to sit there and actually have to just do one thing over and over and over again does not work for me. That's not my calling. (laughs) I would get very bored and I would mess with other welders in their booths and I'd get in trouble because I'm good at (laughs) sitting in one spot and not moving and doing things. Like (laughs) I was in trouble all the time for not staying in my space. So you were there for how long? Oh, like two years. Two years? Mm-hmm. What happened next? Um, I ended up back in Salmon and continued, kind of picked up where I had left off of my own shop kind of thing. And that's where I was from there on out until I moved up here to Bozeman um, 10 years ago. Now, what did you do in Salmon then? Did you continue the welding? Uh, yes, and bartending. I welded and bartended. <laughs> now, at that point, were you doing your artwork or were you working for a company welding? I was working for myself, but I was doing artwork and anything that paid the bills, fabricating, fixing things, all of the above, whatever it took. Got it. Okay. So when you said you were working for yourself, is that where Iron Maiden welding started or did that really start after the move? Actually, Iron Maiden welding, the name and the startup of the business, like I said, started a in high school, 16, 17-ish. And there's a huge horse sale in Salmon, Idaho every year. It's an annual deal and thousands of people come to town for it. And of course, local people, artisans and stuff go out and have booths at this horse sale. And I was asked to have a booth out there with my horseshoe coat racks and other little things that I had done. And uh, the guy that puts it on asked me if I had business cards. And I was like, no. So he's like, well, you need to get business cards done. And when I went and talked to the print shop about doing business cards, they said, well, you really need to have a name. And I was at a loss for a name. I just, I mean, a small town, everybody knows who you are. I didn't really need a business name or a, you know, a catchy name. And uh, over beers at kind of another local restaurant kind of thing, those guys were in there drinking beers, a big group of guys. And I had gone in to have dinner and bumped into them, that's when they all started brainstorming. And that's where Iron Maiden Welding came from, was a big group of drunk men. <laughs> <laughs> that is outstanding. I and love I said, it. You know, that's pretty fantastic. I think I'm going to have to use that. So it's been Iron Maiden Welding since I was seven, 16, 17-ish. <laughs> that is outstanding. So it's something that you've been doing for years. The company has been yes. established for years, but... Yes. Now, would you say you've always been very serious about it or has it been kind of the ups and downs? 
It's always been my passion. I've always been serious about it, about how much effort I've put into it has been up and down between marriages and parenthood and just life. I've always, it's always been there and I've always done it. But when the boys, depending on which one was really little, you know, that was more important than my business, but I was still always doing it. It was always there. It just, I wouldn't get to put 40 to 90 hours in a week, you know, it'd be 12 to 20 ish or so. so. Right. And the number of projects you can work on varies. Yes. And how many shops I was putting my stuff into, how many other like fabrication or repair jobs I was bringing in, how much I was kind of putting it out there that I was even doing it. Because up until just a few years ago, I've always had shops at my house and not main, everybody knows where they're at kind of shops. So that's, I could control that by how many people actually knew I was out there doing this or not kind of thing. Wow. That's Fascinating. So you left Salmon. You moved mm-hmm. back to Idaho, right? Yeah, salmon is Idaho. Oh, got it. Sorry. I'm, I'm no, trying to okay. keep up with the, you mentioned three <laughs> states. I know. Okay. I bounced around a little bit there for a while. But you're in Montana now. <laughs> I am in Montana now. And I moved here from Salmon 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago. Got it. Okay. So you moved from Salmon, Idaho. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, when I say that, I have an immature moment because I think of fish, but. <laughs> well, that's what it's named after. It's okay. And then you moved to Montana about 10 or 11 years ago. 10 years ago. It'll be 11 years in March. Got it. Are you doing Iron Maiden Weldon full-time now? Yes. Well, and I was doing it full-time, and then I started bartending just to get out and meet more people kind of thing because I didn't really know anybody up here. And then I got pregnant with my second son and I really didn't want to go back to bartending ever again. So when I took quote unquote maternity leave, I said, that's it. I'm done. 100%. I'm going to put into my business and only my business. What was that like making that decision? It is one of the scariest things ever. It was pretty scary because I've always had bartending or other side jobs that having that cash in your hand every day. Just letting go of that is really scary. And then to say that I'm actually going to put full effort into this thing and try to make it be something amazing and bigger than it's ever been in a community that I'm not from, where in the small town, you know, you have the support of everybody. And when you move to a city like Bozeman, nobody knows you. So to have that go-to fallback thing is pretty scary. How did you work through that, Brenda? Oh, lots of wine. (laughs) Wine and rum, (laughs) junk food, (laughs) crying in the shower, um, (laughs) all the things that you do hide that you're scared. (laughs) I so appreciate your response. I mean that genuinely because it is so easy to look at social media and these posts that does not really encapsulate that. No. And and these women that show these pictures, they've been through it too, right? We we all have our challenges, but you don't see that on social media necessarily. And and I so appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that. <laughs> You're welcome. I feel like especially women like us that have had to fight so hard in a male dominant world or just to be a strong adult woman, you don't show weaknesses. And that struggling And pushing yourself is a weakness and you know better than to show that. And especially on a social website type thing, Instagram or Facebook, because the judgment or the thought that somebody's going to think you're weaker because of that, or that you're 
your woman's side is showing there. So of course you can't run a business or own a business because you have these emotions and hormones. So I think a lot of times we don't put that out there, but the truth is, is everybody has gone through it. I don't know a business owner or anybody male or female that has not had these moments where they go, am I really doing, is this really what I want to do? Is this really going to be successful? What if it's not? Well, especially having children, right? It adds this whole nother layer of responsibility. You are making sacrifices and it is a responsibility. Now, all of a sudden you have these small people that you're responsible for. And if this bombs, it's going to bomb and it affects them. But also if you push and make it successful, there is a sacrifice. I don't care how much you stay at home with them or a stay at home business, you still sacrifice time with your family to make this business grow. And that's a hard one to juggle, as you know, all the time for any parent working right? to sacrifice time to make their lives better or to make everybody's lives better or to follow your dream, to even be selfish and say, this is something I really want. And I am going to sacrifice time with my children and my family or friends because that's what you do. You know, I, I find that whole topic fascinating as a female and for females. Like you just mentioned the decision to be selfish. And you know, it's it's interesting because I would, I've said the same thing, you know, hey, I, I want to really dive into this and be selfish. And is it really being selfish? Because it, again, I'm not here to male bash. I'm here to bash societal norms. Yes. So let's, let's keep that in perspective here. In societal norms, if a man goes and dives into his career like that, it's not being selfish. It's making a good decision for his family. It's being ballsy. It's being the man. Exactly. A female does it. And we're guilty in saying it ourselves that we're being selfish. Is it though? Exactly. See, and I, don't, I wouldn't say it's overly selfish because for you to be the best parent you can be, male or female, you have to be happy. If you're not happy and you're putting things on the back burner that make you happy, you're really not being the best person or parent that you could be. I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I'm, I'm exploring this topic with you because you are a business owner. You've, you've been at it. You've had children. You had an and have children. And it's something that's near and dear to my heart that I continually battle. I have my day job and I also do Femcanic and the Femcanic Garage podcast. And it's this challenge where it's like, okay, am I taking away from my family by doing this because I'm going to events and different things like that? But then I sit there and think about comments that my kids say to me, you know, hey, they call me Mati. Um, cause they have two moms, they have two moms so they can distinguish and I'm Mati. It's I just like Croatian it. for mother. It's I love it. just mother in another language. Mm -hmm. We're not Croatian. It's just, it was different enough. Right. Yeah. And they'll ask me about Femcanic Garage and they'll, they'll, we'll play and I'll record them on the microphone and things like that, where it's like, I do it for multiple reasons, but one is I realize that I'm becoming a model for them in something that's different. Exactly. Than a mom norm, so to speak. And I think that's a great thing. And I, I'm, I'm sharing this because with what you're sharing here, Brenda, and what I'm also sharing is for you ladies out there listening to this, go do it. it it's not taking from 
your children, it's embracing it. It is. And I think my boys, my younger boys, my oldest boy is a teenager. So he mostly says, like, there's nothing very positive right now from him. But my younger boys always say, I have the coolest mom ever. Not everybody's mom welds or not everybody's mom has a welding shop or not everybody's mom is like you and gets dirty every day mom. And they look at me with these huge big eyes and they're so happy and impressed by it. And I'm changing their perspective and other kids' perspective of what a woman should or shouldn't be. And I feel like for us to really break these barriers and these expectations of what a woman should be or shouldn't be or male or female dominant jobs is to have our youth and other people see that, yeah, I'm a woman, but I can still be a welder or I can still be a mechanic or I can still do these male dominant jobs. And the boys I'm raising to men will carry that on and how they treat women and men in the future and other people affected by that. That is beautifully said. That is so beautifully said. Yes. I Yeah, my boys will never expect their wife or their husband or their partner of any sort to be that stereotypical fit into a box what society told them to be. And they will never judge anybody else for doing something outside of the box. And it starts at home. And who better to show them something different than the societal norm than mom? Yes. You know, I, I just, I absolutely love it. I love it. So you have your own shop now. Yes. And I also noticed that you run classes out of your shop. Can yes. you talk a little bit about the classes? So I've always wanted to do classes. I've wanted to do classes for a long time. And I've been asked about it for years and years and years to teach other women or men. But a lot of women come to me because to learn A, what I do and B, to be comfortable in the situation and not feel intimidated because they're with the workforce training with a bunch of other men kind of thing. So I finally am in a shop where I can do that before. I've never had a shop that's really set up or had the space or the power to do it. When you're running a lot of welders and a lot of plasma cutters and power tools, you have to have a lot of power. (laughs) And I've never had a lot of power in a shop until this new shop that I've just opened up. And uh, it was just a big empty box. And I put in, there's a showroom, a gallery in the front, and then in the back's my shop, but I make sure to put big windows in there and they're tinted so you can actually watch the process because people are so interested in it. So I started these classes and it is amazing. I am booked out past March. I have a waiting list. Brenda, can I ask you a quick question? I I, I apologize for interrupting, but you'd mentioned something. They they're tinted. Do you mean like customers can go in the showroom and they can actually see you doing welding? Yes. Really? That is way cool. From the showroom, you can watch and it's tinted windows. It's so you don't burn your eyes watching me weld or cut or anything like that, obviously. It's like yeah. a, a sunglass tint is almost the color on it. And there's two huge windows. So you can see me from the welding booth or from the cutting booth kind of area. And, uh, and so we started these classes and they're super fun. You go in and you do everything from plasma cutting to welding to running a grinder. Um, we, our last class, we started using the torch, things like that. And we always make something you can bring home. So there's always a project. So it's kind of like your creative painting nights with wine kind of thing. You always get to bring home your little project. And it's been so amazing. I've had everything from teenage girls up to we've had ladies in their 70s. And the empowerment 
that they have just from the first few cuts they make. So many women in different age groups I've had, they've told me, you know, as a child, I was always told you can't do this. I wasn't allowed to take shop class back in the 60s. I wasn't allowed. It was always I had to do home ec and or, you know, my father said not to do this or I didn't grow up in a situation where this was around me kind of thing. And the empowerment you see in these women when they realize that, yes, you can do this. There's nothing scary about it. That once you jump in and do it, it's amazing. Wow. I can only imagine being in your shoes. It gives me chills. Like it's it's so amazing to see the empowerment and the smiles and these women. I, I had one of the sweetest little old ladies come in. She was in her late 60s, early 70s. And she was your typical grandma. I was surprised she didn't bring in like a pie or something. She was just that sweet grandma type that you just want to hug. And she was kind of intimidated to use the plasma cutter because of sparks. And she started plasma cutting and then she had welded her piece together. And we're joking about having t-shirts and bumper stickers made because at the end she says, I'm a welder mother flanker. (laughs) (laughs) And she yelled it and she said it was so much power and she was so confident about it. It was just amazing. And uh, when I sum up the classes, that's what I explained because it took this little grandma from being this frail little grandma to yelling that out. (laughs) It was so awesome. You really should get a bumper sticker and send it to her. (laughs) I think I'm going to because, yeah, we and now me and I've got a few gals that work with me and do the class with me and um, they're with they're with every class with me. They're my go to gals. That's always what we say and joke about. Is our kind of our saying now, our motto <laughs> after that. How many classes have you run now? Oh my goodness, I've lost count. I'd say over 20 now. That is outstanding. We've been doing it every Wednesday since, oh, this fall. And then I've also done a lot of private classes because some ladies can't make it to the Wednesdays because of work and school and kids and life. And so if they can get enough ladies together, I'll do a private class at any point that works for them kind of thing. We've done it for morale building, uh, building kind of projects with women and different, like the Cisco ladies, the food service ladies came and did it as a morale building kind of thing. There was a sheriff killed here lately, and one of the sheriffs has put together a class for uh, the other women sheriffs and deputies and stuff to come and do this as a, a morale builder to kind of get them back to a better spot kind of thing. So that's a great idea. <laughs> and then um, we're in talks with the battered women's house here to start doing it for them too. Oh, I love it. I could totally see how this could be a very empowering thing. Empowering and a career tool. Is this something yeah. that they could go into that direction, but basically empowering and to also you feel so alone in that kind of situation. It seems like that to show these ladies, you're not alone and there are all these options out there for you. Yes, yes. So that's your classes. I want to talk about your art. Yes. That is the that is what just sucked me in was your art. Um it's it's a content that I absolutely love. Um a lot of not everything, but a lot of what you do um has roots in automotive. And I talk to me about that. What is your process like when you get in there and you're creating your art? What is your process like? So it all starts with the picking, 
that going to junkyards, that going to old farms and getting different things. And I've been collecting little nuts and bolts and springs and sprockets my whole life. I've been collecting things. And it seems like a lot of people do that and never know what to do with the next. And they just have it sitting there. Or there's so many ranches and farms you go to and they have these amazing old vehicles. And just because the motor blew or something didn't work on it, they park it in the field and it rots. So getting those pieces and bringing them to my shop and turning them into something that's not just going to rot out in somebody's pasture or get sent to the recycling and it's crushed and sent to China. Because <laughs> there's so many pieces that I use that are never going to be what they are ever again. They'll be recycled and they'll be sent to us back, you know, in pop. And it just, it, it can't even go to the junkyard when they're crushing because I just, I cry because <laughs> there's so many amazing pieces that people just are getting rid of because they don't know what to do with it. They've had this milk can, this creamer can sitting on their porch forever, but it's not doing anything. Same with the car parts and stuff. So I've always, like I said, been a junker, always loved going to the junkyard, seeing all these pieces. So to be able to just do something new and different with that has always just drawn me in. So you go, you, you're what I'll call a picker. <laughs> you'll go <Yeah>. and <laughs> you'll go find your quote unquote junk or rusty gold, depending on how you look yes. at it. <laughs> and I, I'm just curious because my partner and I love doing that. What got you to the point of like, hey, let's just put this together. Do you see a piece and, and you get inspired by it? And that's why you like, hey. I'm going to go ahead and snag that. I don't know what I'm doing with it yet, but I know I'm going to do something. Is that kind of what it, how it goes? Yeah, I've had pieces that have sat or I've moved and have sat in each shop with me for 20 years. And I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I know I will do something someday. And once that I see it, whatever it is, maybe it looks like a turtle shell or it looks like a bird beak or an elephant's tusk. Whatever it is and when it does, then that's when I jump in and I start to do something with it. And I, like I said, I have 15 projects easily everywhere. And some of them are half done. Some of them are just started. Some of them are almost done. Um, if you go on my shop, I have shelves and shelves and shelves of little pieces and parts and sprockets. That's and what I was going to ask and, next. Yeah. Like some of your pieces are large. So many people, yeah, love to come in my shop and look at little pieces. I also have a junkyard at my house. I'm lucky enough to have property and I have a nice big junkyard. So um, I can store the bigger things there and kind of bring them to the shop and work on them. Or when I go and pick, sometimes I'll just have them dropped right off at the shop because I know I'm going to use them right away. Like that I can't wait and let it sit in the junkyard that I need to start doing something with it right away. Wow. that That is so cool. And I don't, I don't, see things in my head like some people think all artists do that you picture what it's going to look like I just jump in and start making it and it comes together so it's kind of hard to explain that process because I don't pre-see things I just see a piece that sparks me into making something so you go and find the junk <laughs> and you bring it back <laughs> and you start working on it like what's your experience what do you what do you do you just start cutting you start piecing things together what what is your process yep. Um, so a lot of things, depending on where you pull them out of, they're usually kind of dirty and cruddy and gross. <laughs> so the first part of the process is you got to clean it up. And that's usually wire brush or using paint thinner or something like that to kind of get it to the point because to be able to um, plasma cut it or to weld it, you have to be able to get a ground. There's that same process for both. You have to have a ground and your electrical current basically has to be able to go in a circle. You know what I mean? So if it's 
rusty or cruddy or painted in a certain way that you can't get that ground, then that's not going to work. So you have to get it cleaned up so you can get a ground on it. Got it. And then depending on what it is, either I start to cut on it or I start to weld on it or, and like I said, sometimes I just stop in the middle of it and think, I don't know where I'm going with this. And I set it aside and I start something else. Other times I know exactly what I want to do with it and beginning to end. And I put it out in my showroom or I ship it off to another shop and there you go. So you don't sell, you're not the only one that sells your pieces. When you say ship it off to another shop, what do you mean by that? I have several other shops that carry my stuff. I think I have over 40 right now. Oh, wow. Um, I have, yeah, I have stuff in a whole bunch of different states. I have some people from Colorado that come up with trailers and will fill up their trailers and take it back down to Colorado. Same with Washington. I have a lot of stuff in Idaho and all over Montana. Is it like consignment shops? Is that how it works or... Um, I'm in some like antique shops, you know, where you each have your own little booth kind of thing. Um, I'm in galleries. I'm in some gift shops. I'm kind of all over the place. I'm in salons. I, I'm in quite a few places. So how did you go about that? Did you start off saying, Hey, I'm going to be in salons. I'm going to be in. I just, so I can talk to anybody and everybody. (laughs) And I talked to anybody and everybody. I didn't really start like trying to push myself into shops. I just started making things and people would want them and buy them. And then it turned into, hey, I heard that you make these things. I really want to get my wife something awesome for her birthday. Can you make her something? And word of mouth travels so fast. And especially now with social media, uh, people post a picture and somebody's interested. So they get a hold of you and then a shop owner will say, oh my gosh, I've seen you make this and this. Can I please carry your stuff? And it just balloons from there. Wow. That is so cool. (laughs) So do you do any painting or you leave things as is patina? Oh, if I do any painting, it's shake and shoot. It's a rattle can. Got it. (laughs) Kind of deal. (laughs) When I use new steel and blew it with the torch is usually the most time I paint anything. And that's just a clear coat. So it doesn't rust. Like if I, I love colors and I love natural patina, natural roughness, as you've seen in my work and with cars and stuff, that look of the old car paint and the old, just the scratches and the character it has just from being used is my favorite. I'm always looking for colors. That's my biggest, when I go and pick, I'm looking for colors. So I don't have to paint things. (laughs) All right. I have to ask this, Brenda, because when I'm looking at your art, I, I imagine every artist has that one piece that they are most proud of or that they loved the process of working on it. Do you have a favorite piece? Oh, that's so hard. (laughs) I love the entire process and I am obsessed, absolutely adore plasma cutting and welding. So it's so hard to say that I enjoyed one piece more than the other because it is fun for me from the beginning to the end. I love the whole process. I think all my vehicle pieces, so like my full car cuts where I've cut the entire car and my hoods and my doors and my tailgates, those kind of things are by far my favorite. A to do and B the finished product. I concur (laughs) because there's, there's such impressive pieces because it's one thing to, 
see a smaller piece, and those are cool too in their mm-hmm. right in in their own way. But to see a quarter of a car, <laughs> like you said, cut and it being displayed as the artwork of just it's just it's so neat. Thank you. I feel like because I am so happy making these pieces, I mean, that comes out in people's artwork if they're feeling sad or happy or angry. And I am happy the entire process. I have so much fun with these. I could see this being like therapy, (laughs) how it it just ends up being therapy. I always say that there would not be any hate or anger in the world or all the bad stuff that happens if everybody just when they started to get angry, ran a power tool or did something like that with their hands. Even just running a yes. orbital grinder on furniture yes. is amazing how therapeutic that is. I so agree. Wrenching or welding or drilling, just that that hands-on thing I think is so therapeutic. And I tell people that all the time. If you're starting to feel stressed out, go run a grinder or something. I so agree with you. When we're working <laughs> on the van and doing grinding and stuff, it, because there's a, a level of attention that you have to have and focus or you, yes. you could really jack yourself up. So, I mean, you have to pay attention. Uh, I've put a grinder through the arm once or twice. Uh, and I, yep. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's it's that need to pay attention and you have um, a finished product too. That I was going to say, and you get to see what you've done. It's an instant gratification because you get to see what you just worked on and the progress of it. So Absolutely. Well, Brenda... I think we're ready to launch into the red line round. Are you ready? All right, let's do this. All right. The red line round is just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to it. Whatever comes to your mind first is the right answer. I don't know if I drank enough wine before this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Are you a red sweet wine? What are you? What's your preference? Oh, I'm an all. You're an all. all. You don't discriminate. I ain't picky. Yeah, I'm I'm too redneck to discriminate. I hear you, sister. I hear (laughs) you. All right. Question one. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey? My dad. And what is dad's name? My daddy's name is Stan. Stan, Stan, the maintenance man. Oh, he has a jingle. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and if he didn't, he well, does he has now. Lots of jingles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my daddy, Stan Gare, is very amazing and definitely always been my inspiration. Is Dad still with you? Yes, he is. Well, hi, Dad. It's it's nice to meet you, Stan. <laughs> Stan, the maintenance man. He will be listening to this. He's probably my biggest fan. So outstanding. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a project? Um, I just keep pecking away at it or keep making mistakes. I'm one that I have to keep doing it. I can't just step away and read on it. I need to keep physically working on it or it's going to drive me crazy. (laughs) And I'll just get more frustrated reading on it. Or watching videos on it won't help me. I need to actually just work through it. I am so glad you said that because I I am the same way, Brenda. And majority <laughs> of people around me watch videos or read. Like my dad is mm-hmm. very much a reader and very logical. Um, my partner reads, watch videos. And I'm the type that I learn by just keep tinkering with it. 
Exactly. I learn best that way rather than reading or even watching a video sometimes. You're the first one I've interviewed that has said that. Most people are like, I just go to YouTube. <laughs> so I, I. And maybe I'm old school that way back from when you couldn't do that. And you really had no choice and you can't let it defeat you. So you just work through it. And even if there's 20 mistakes, those were learning mistakes. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, I don't absorb things. I think like other people do by watching videos. I end up just as confused as I was going into it. <laughs> if not more confused. So, Brenda, what excites you most about what you do? Oh, everything. It's everything. Like I said, the whole process is so much fun. And the fact that it's like with any art form, the sky's the limit. It's infinity. You can do so much with it. There's no end of the line. There's no stopping point. As far as you want to go, you can go with it. And I'm constantly growing as a person, as an artist, and I've never felt like I've hit that spot where I'm bored or I don't have another avenue to go down to, or there's not another project. And I think that's the most exciting thing is I will never get bored with this. And I get bored with a lot of things in life. <laughs> and the fact that this is something I'll never get bored with is pretty, pretty fantastic. Cheers to that, my friend. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in this industry when you feel stuck, unsupported, or discouraged? A personal habit. Um, I don't take what people think about me. Their heart, I don't care. And I think a personal habit of never caring what anybody other than my immediate family and loved ones or myself feels, I think is a good habit and a positive attitude. You just have to keep on keeping on. You can't give up. You can't call it quits. You just have to have a good attitude and work through it kind of thing. And finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry? Again, don't let other people ever discourage you and never give up. There are days it's hard and it's really fucking hard. And it's, again, it's not all puppies and flowers like posted on Facebook. Don't let somebody's Facebook or Instagram thing make you feel like you're not doing good enough. You are doing amazing. And yeah, everybody has shitty days. You just push through and push through and keep pushing. All right, Brenna, where and how can people connect with you in Iron Maiden Weldon? Well, don't call me because I don't answer my phone. <laughs> You can text me. That works for me. Or you can call my shop and talk to one of my appointed adults. Who <laughs> I have a couple of them since I don't make phone calls or do emails very well. And my shop phone number is 406-388-4465. Or you can find me on Facebook, Iron Maiden Welding, or on Instagram, Iron Maiden Welding. Or you can email one of my adults at LLC at gmail.com. Brenda, thank you so much for taking the time to share your journey and your story with the Femcanic community. I have been looking forward to this interview because what you do is amazing and I love the artwork you put out and what you stand for and how you're helping women out there. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Absolutely. Hi, my name is Brenda Strudwick and I'm the owner of Iron Maiden Welding and I am a Femcanic.
Gevin Fax is in the driver's seat next. She has a list of skills and accomplishments, having many of her referring to her as legendary. She is one of the most badass women to have graced two wheels. She is a public speaker, transportation research center's motorcycle mechanic, and test rider. She's been featured in multiple magazines and moto documentaries. She's a stunt woman, actress, professional singer, and much more. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic? Gevin Fax is in the driver's seat next. She has a list of skills and accomplishments, having many of her referring to her as legendary. She is one of the most badass women to have graced two wheels. She is a public speaker, transportation research center's motorcycle mechanic and test rider. She's been featured in multiple magazines and moto documentaries. She's a stunt woman, actress, professional singer, and much more. Until next time, Femcanics.